is uh, Thanksgiving week. I've already had the chance to meet uh, several visiting family members and friends, and that is one of the great joys of this week, of course, for so many of us. We uh, gather with uh, others, we eat together, um, uh, we share favorite recipes and childhood memories, a lot of nostalgia that goes into it. So a lot of people take as a tradition gathering around the table and uh, offering thanks um, and some will go around and uh, actually ask every person around the table to at least mention one thing you're thankful for, and often things about, uh, you know, I'm thankful for these toys or uh, this particular job, and all of these are really good. Um, and uh, just thankful for the generosity of others, perhaps, in our lives. And uh, of course, as as we approach Thanksgiving, we're always encouraged to thank God. That's why we set aside every year our Thanksgiving service to be able to do that, to thank God for His amazing generosity toward us. Not just the fact that we may or may not have a, a big bank account or a special job, but, but the gift of His Son Jesus. That's what we're going to be th- uh, talking about today. Um, Thanksgiving was, was begun that way. The holiday was celebrated in its roots uh, back in Massachusetts with the words of Governor William Bradford who proclaimed that uh, in 1623 that Thanksgiving Day would be a public ceremony to, quote, render thanksgiving to ye almighty God for all his blessings, end quote. There's your King James for the morning. Today, the Sunday before Thanksgiving Day, I want us to focus on a piece of Scripture that perhaps better than any other passage helps us focus on and understand what it is that we're talking about with God being generous to us, about God having an open hand toward you and uh, His generous uh, offer to us and something to truly be thankful for. Open, would you, if you have your Bibles, to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. We're going to read the first uh, three verses, a couple of verses, and then reflect on those, and then we'll move on. Here's what the Bible says in this early part of John's Gospel. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a great, a good teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. I just want to pause there so that we can capture a sense of the background. And, and what is the setting? Here we're introduced to this character named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is described as a Pharisee. We know uh, that a Pharisee was um, someone of this particular party who took uh, the religious a response to God very seriously. They're very dedicated to uh, fulfilling what, what their Hebrew scriptures said a good life with God is supposed to look like. And they took it upon themselves to help to help others live such a life. And um, it often became um, uh, very wooden and, and literalistic, uh, overly so. Uh, Nicodemus was part of the Sanhedrin. He was part of the, the ruling Jewish religious council of the day. And, and he comes to, to Jesus, and the Bible says at night, and likely it was uh, after the sun had set, but when John uses that expression at night, he almost always is meaning some, some sort of moral or spiritual darkness. 
And so I think we're supposed to understand Nicodemus when he first comes to Jesus, that that there was a spiritually dark sense about who he was and, and his understanding of what God was doing and who God was. Even though he was a man of of great religious uh, position and he had a a great teaching role and he was outstanding among his peers and had tremendous professional accomplishments because you don't serve on this high council without being such a person. He had had certainly religious experiences. But what Jesus in his response in part is communicating to us that that even Nicodemus, with all of his religious credentials, standing in those religious credentials by themselves, if that's the only thing Nicodemus was relying on in order to be in a good standing with God, Jesus is telling him something far different. And he's going to describe the great gift of the generous God for Nicodemus and indeed for the whole world and certainly for you. Because if Nicodemus could not stand with all of his religious credentials, then who could? And that's kind of the point, is that no one can. We read in Acts chapter 10, one of my favorite passages of the Scripture, about an encounter where Peter, you remember Peter, the man who got out on the water and walked uh, at the same time on the water with Jesus. Peter was the man that God would work through. He was a, a, a chicken at the end of when Jesus was crucified. He was hiding and, and scrambling and didn't know what to do. But it was Peter that God would fill with power to go and preach the gospel to the, the early people and respondents. And it's Peter that in Acts chapter 10, he sends Peter to a man named Cornelius. And Cornelius is described as somebody who was very religious and a really morally upright person. And, and he had good standing in his community. And he had risen up the ranks in his professional career. And he was generous, the Bible says. And he prayed. But even with all of that religious background and, and underpinning of his life, that alone didn't put him in a relationship with God. And so God sends Peter to Cornelius to introduce Cornelius to Jesus. Because even with all of that in Cornelius' life, his life is incomplete apart from a personal encounter and relationship with Jesus. The Apostle Paul later would come along and he would describe his tremendous spiritual life and and, and his religious rigor and, and how focused and intensely he held on to uh, these religious practices and how he came to the conclusion that none of them would help him stand before God. In fact, he says, if that's all I'm concerned with and that's if that's the only thing I'm trusting in to be right with God, then I realized that I had to take all of that and put it in the garbage can because I needed something different, I needed something better, and I needed the person of Jesus in my life. That's, that is what Jesus is aiming at. When Nicodemus comes to Jesus here at night, he does it because there's spiritual darkness in him, and he comes at night before he's able to step into the light. You see, if you were to go this week, and, and I encourage you to read the Gospel of John and, and look for the moments where you see Nicodemus emerge in the story. Because you'll read chapter 7. Where Nicodemus, here in his introduction in chapter 3, he's, he's someone who comes at night because we are supposed to conclude, I believe, that there's spiritual darkness in his life and confusion. But in chapter 7, we see him now standing in front of the authorities, standing with 
Jesus. So there's been some progression and growth in his life. And then at the end of the book of John, after Jesus has been crucified and his body is taken down from the cross and he's prepared for the grave, it is Nicodemus who stands there with Joseph of Arimathea and they carry Jesus' body to the tomb in their wait for his resurrection. His story, Nicodemus, begins here at night, but eventually he would step in to the light. John chapter 3. Because we're getting to the good stuff now. We're getting to the generous gift of God. Here's what the Bible says. In reply, Jesus, uh, Jesus says to him, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Have you heard that expression, born again? How many have heard that expression used? Yeah, most of us have heard it. You may not know really all that it means. This is really where we center that expression in this passage here. How can a man, Nicodemus responds, verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying that you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of spirit. Nicodemus asks, how can this be? Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher and you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Listen, John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned Already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So, Jesus talks to Nicodemus. As Nicodemus has come at night and there's a spiritual darkness over his life and he comes seeking answers and he looks at Jesus and and he recognizes that there's something peculiar about God's presence with Jesus and he comes seeking some answers to his spiritual darkness and Jesus begins to talk to him about being born again. Literally, that could be translated as one to be born from above, that it's an action that God takes, and it's synonymous with entering into the kingdom and having the eternal life that God has for us. We know how a family works, right? A a man and woman come together, and and a baby is born, and and a family grows, or if a child is without parents, that child can get adopted into a family, and and they take on the name. And and God, in John chapter 1, it it describes this idea of of God, we're all God's creation, that, that we're born in the image of God because of sin, however. It is God who gives us the right 
to become children of God. So everybody in the world is God's creation, but not everybody is God's child. Because adoption, spiritual adoption, must take place in a life. And that's just what Jesus is getting at. That you must be born again. Because in the being born again, being born from above, you now become part of God's family so that you can walk in His light. To be born again is an act of God. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, in verse 5, no one can enter the kingdom unless he is born of water and the Spirit. So, I'd like to ask a question. Where would... I told you a little bit about Nicodemus and and his Jewish background, his uh, religious teacher, and uh, being a a student of the Hebrew Scriptures and one who would talk about the Hebrew Scriptures to people. If you have a spiritual question or religious question... Where would a man like Nicodemus turn for answers? He's certainly coming to Jesus, but what would be a great source, resource for him, do you think? A man who studies the Hebrew Scriptures, what would be a good resource? I hear Torah, the Hebrew Scriptures, right? So I think that's what Jesus is aiming at when he gives this description about being born of of spirit and water. That's kind of weird sounding, but not from a Hebrew point of view. Because I believe Jesus is taking us to Ezekiel chapter 36. And if you're taking notes, you might want to write that down. Ezekiel 36, where it describes the nation of of Israel in exile and and the great brokenness of the people. They they went into exile because of their lack of faithfulness to God. And out of that that brokenness, the, the, the religious, important religious symbols and anchors of their life, like being close to the temple... And being in in their land that was promised to them, that was all stripped away. And in those moments of hardship, God is sowing into them something new and different and a deeper texture about what it is to be in a relationship with God. Not, Not about performing religious duty, but it's about being in a relationship of closeness with God. And and out of the brokenness and the sadness of exile to another land, God speaks words of hope. And God speaks about a time of redemption and renewal when He will bring cleansing to their life. And to Ezekiel, I want you to hear, listen for the words water and spirit. God says through Ezekiel, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This is the work of God. The work of God to come and and to bring cleansing and and to bring healing and to bring renewal and, and to take a hardened heart that's hardened because of sin, hardened because of my lack of uh, willingness to forgive and to receive forgiveness. And, and God wants to come and do a heart transplant in you and to give you something new that's spiritually born of Him in you. It's an act of God. To be born again is an act of God. But it's also a movement of the Spirit. You notice when Jesus begins, He goes on to talk about not only do you have to be born of water and Spirit, but then He talks about how, how the wind blows and we don't know exactly where it comes from and we see the effects of the wind. We don't always see exactly the wind. And so it is with the Spirit, He says in verse 8. He says, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Being born again is, is the movement of God's Spirit. And I think he's hearkening back to Ezekiel again because there in Ezekiel, the very next chapter, Ezekiel 37, 
is a picture. You have to really use your mind's eye like a prophetic, uh, prophetic symbol. You have to think about this dry and dusty land. And all of these dead bodies are lying out there. And the bodies have decayed. And it's nothing but skeletons and bones. And it fills this valley. You have to picture this to picture what God is talking about. And out of that, he, the Ezekiel the prophet is told to, to speak to these bones on God's behalf. And suddenly the bones begin to animate themselves. And, and it's a vision of what God is going to do in bringing new life and new birth to the people. And these bones begin to quiver. And all of a sudden, they, they come together. Bones that have been disconnected. And they get new connective tissue and, and muscle and skin. And there they lie. There they lie. And here's, here's what God says to the prophet. And I want you to hear about the Spirit. Because often in the Scripture, the idea of wind and Spirit and the breath of God are, are uh, similar concepts. And here's, here's what he says in Ezekiel 37. Then he said to me, prophesy the breath. Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Ezekiel says in his vision. So you see this being born again is it's an act of God to put a new heart in people. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. This is new birth. It's not just putting on a new habit. And it's not just uh, changing and tweaking a couple of things about the way I, I deal with my, my wife or the way I interact with my kids or I'm going to be a little more honest at work. That, that's not what God is talking about when He's talking about new birth. He's talking about a whole new heart and a whole new life that God brings through the movement of the Spirit. This new life is God's gift through Jesus. It is God's gift of the Son. So it's, a, it's an act of God, it's the movement of God the Spirit, and it's the gift of God the Son. Here later in this passage, Jesus, to emphasize and to reiterate what he's saying and to help Nicodemus understand what he's talking about, he says um, in verse 13, No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. Jesus again is hearkening back, talking to Nicodemus. He's going back to Numbers chapter 21 when the people, as they were coming out of captivity into freedom, they weren't sure if they could trust God and uh, where were their food going to come from and where's their water and they're unhappy and they're complaining. And snakes come into the camp and begin to bite people and people are dying. And God says to Moses, kind of an odd story, says to Moses, form a, a bronze snake and put it on a big stick and lift it up. And when you do that, the people look at the stick, they look at the serpent there. If they've been bitten by snakes, they're, they're not going to die. I will bring healing because of where they're fixing their eyes. Because of what they're looking at, Jesus is saying about himself, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, and he's talking about the cross upon which he died. And that when we look at the cross and we receive the work of Jesus on the cross into our life, it is such a beautiful picture of healing, because the poison of our lives gets touched 
It gets removed and it gets healing and new life is come to us. It's the gift of the Son. You see, this, this being born again is an act of God. It's the movement of God's Spirit. And it's the gift of God the Son. This is why it's so good to hear again. Perhaps the most well-known verse of the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. I remember hearing Stephanie Schaus in this church when she first encountered this verse. It took her many years to actually realize in a personal way that Jesus had not been given just to the world at large only, but Jesus had been given for her specifically at the same time. And that was such a revelation for her because it wasn't just a generic gift. It was a very specific gift for her as well. I love the story. I spent some some time recently with Alice Vipiana, and uh, she is in her... Children and grandchildren are mourning the loss of Al, and it's it was so delightful to hear. Uh, you know, Al for decades had a really strong faith, and Alice says, "Okay, if I share this, I should have asked her permission." But it's so moving to me um, because Al Al knew what it was to be born again, and his life reflected that in so many ways. And uh, in the last weeks of his life, Alice would overhear him having conversations, not with her, and she believes there are conversations with the Lord Jesus in heaven. And now part of his life growing up, or, and as he got into his adult life, is he loved history, and, and he loved examining uh, the, the Christian uh, roots of the United States and the spiritual influences that, that helped this country take shape. And he had developed several talks that he would give at churches and schools. And... Uh, uh, in these moments, in the weeks leading up to his passing, is uh, that he would, she would overhear him saying, "Are you going to make time for me to give my talks?" <laughs> because it was such a deep part of his life. But I love those pictures of people whose hearts are so set in the Lord that you know beyond a doubt that they have been born again. They've been born on high, and as Jesus has promised, that He's gone to prepare a place. For them and for us. For those who have been born again, there's a place being prepared. There's a place being preserved. And there's a place that, that you can begin to, to think about and, and, and to talk to. And, and that is the gift of God. It's the generous God who had come into your life and to offer this great, great gift. I was born again when I was 13 years old. I'd grown up in the church. I'm so thankful for a mother who was dedicated to taking me to church whether I wanted to go or not. A lot of times I didn't want to go. But I'm so thankful she did. And I'm so thankful that as I've grown up, I've been around good teachers and role models and people who, who helped encourage faith into me and helped uh, give me a picture of what Christianity was like and the regularities of life. So that I could take those things that I learned as a kid and begin to work them out and live them out as an adult. And I don't know about you, but maybe today you're, you're one who's kind of like Nicodemus, and who came to Jesus at night with the spiritual darkness. Maybe, maybe you're in a spiritually dark place and you're confused and, and you don't know really yet. You've not really understood or embraced 
the goodness of the gift of Jesus that's offered to you. A gift that without it you will not know God. And so God offers this gift to you. Out of love and out of His generous hand. Because apart from Jesus, we cannot be with God and to know Him deeply and fully. And I wonder if today there's any who are walking in spiritual darkness. Would you open your life to Him today? Many of you I know, I've heard your stories. You have been born again and you walk with the Lord Jesus. And as you think about this Thanksgiving season, perhaps one, one thing you might do around your Thanksgiving table is, is to take a moment, maybe a long moment, maybe take the whole afternoon and to share the moment when you were born again, when you knew that God had come into your life or, or at least what, what He's done in your life since then and, and to revel in that and to thank God. To thank God that He is such a generous God and that He would love the world so much that He would give His one and only Son. Not just for the world generically, but for you specifically. Father, we thank You for this reminder today about You being a generous God. Not just... Not just generous in finances and your, your physical provision in our lives. We are thankful for those things also. Of course we are. But help us to be thankful for the gift of Jesus in our lives. The gift of love and the gift of mercy. So that we, we can know what it is to be cleansed of you. We know what it is to have the Spirit blow fresh wind in our lives. To animate us so that our lives are no longer dry, dead bones, but we are living and animated and walking with you. God, help us like Nicodemus. If there's anyone here today who has come with spiritual darkness in them, uncertain of who you are, may their life be one like Nicodemus who eventually stood with you and then helped take your body down off the cross and put you in that garden tomb to await your resurrection day. Maybe their life story would be something like that. Starting today at night, but coming to you, Jesus, as the light. God, may this week be a tremendous week of really and deeply giving thanks for your gift of love and grace in the one Jesus. And we pray it in that sweet, sweet name. Amen. One of the things that, that we do in coming to the Lord is not that we clean up our lives, but we come just as we are. That is the great invitation that we don't have to look a certain way or think a certain way before we come to Christ. We, we simply come as we are today. We come as in our brokenness, in our, our hurt, woundedness, in our imperfections, and, and we present ourselves before Him. And He's the one that does the cleaning and the changing and the washing of our lives. And we're going to close by singing a couple of verses of a well-known song, Just As I Am. And may this be your prayerful response back to the Lord. And thankfully that God takes you just as you are so that He can change your life to look more and more like Jesus. Would you stand together and let's sing.